is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. In part two with Sam Columbus, we continue the conversation of the creation of Never Be King and just going for it. So I hope you enjoy part two with Sam Columbus. What are these uh, explorations and discoveries that you and Charlie have had on writing and orchestrating and, and how music uh, plays a part in telling a story in uh, yeah. theater? Yeah, well, one of the things, I mean, one of the, the core values that Charlie and I carry with with our writing, with what we do is, is you know, the idea that the orchestra, the band, what have you, is always the third character, so to speak, in a scene. Right. And without that subtext, subtextual knowledge or without that, that third character there, there's always going to be a piece missing, you know. Um, mm. And so that is why we feel that it's so important to conceive our pieces in a holistic sense and have at least, if not a full working draft, an understanding of what is going to be going on in a musical sense underneath something, whether that's underscoring, whether that's... Um, you know, whether that's the accompaniment to a song, because it all is something that just bolsters and supports and helps an actor key into their performance all the more. Um, and that was the first thing that we like locked on as as writing partners. And it is it carries through with us, obviously, to where we are today. You know, I mean, we're pushing out an EP before before anybody has heard a spoken word of the show. Um, <laughs> because we believe so strongly that the music behind the musical is such a key element of the storytelling. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Which is evident in never be King. I mean, that is the oh. music slaps. It does. And the EP's out now. <laughs> you can stream it, Spotify, Apple music, Amazon, Google it. There's a website, an Instagram, a TikTok, a Twitter, <laughs> Facebook. It's We're everywhere. everywhere. We're taking over the world. Uh, particularly with the sounds of that show. It's everything from yeah. harpsichord to synthesizer. I yeah. had someone say to me the other day that it sounds like this electro music. There's just like so many ways to describe it. I've, you know, I've heard yeah. it said that it's, you know, a Baroque pop punk, right? Musical. Sure. And there's so many other nods to what has come before in musical theater without necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, copying or ripping. It's, uh, it's mm -hmm. a creative nod. Um, I'm curious, is that just, does, has that, I mean, you can talk specifically about one of the songs if you want, or it as a whole. Did that just come to you on the spot while you're working on it? Or is it a lot of walking around the city, hearing something, writing it down, revisiting it to make it? Sure. Cohesive? Yeah. So, so Charlie and I, so, so, I mean, the show is about a teenager, right? So of course for, for, from Charlie, you know, it was Charlie's conception. Charlie had had the idea for the Henry musical long before we actually started developing this project. Um, and it was always going to be like a rock show in some way, because rock is the delivery. It's like the delivery vehicle for angst. It is the angstiest style of music. So that was always going to be baked in. Um, and, you know, obviously, Charlie and I uh, both sang in choir for three years. We had a requirement to sing in choir in college. And so we were singing contemporary choral music and we were singing Bach. We did a Bach festival at our school every single year. We would sing one of Bach's major works so we sang the saint matthew passion together or the saint john passion together you know we sang i guess uh 
we said we sang oh shoot what else did we sing we sang a lot of classical music in college is the idea sure um so i guess what that comes down to is that like the specific harmonic language or the specific sonic language of this show is really just kind of everything that charlie and i have loved and that obviously stems from the musical theater or you know that it is evident in the musical theater references or nods as well um it, it's so there is a lot of it that just comes from deep within the two of us and it is intensely kind of a personal musical project for both of us but you know i'm not a rock guy to begin with i want to be a rock guy really badly but i listen you know i mean i listen to nothing but musicals all through high school which is really embarrassing to admit but it's true um so particularly for this yeah a lot of the process has been walking around blasting one of the boys uh you know that whole album i think i must have listened to oh countless times when we were making our first pass at i'm coming in hmm. um so those references are all over the place uh and and it is definitely i would say it's a pretty even mixture of stuff that flows from within us and stuff that is um consciously embedded in the score i it sounds freaking fantastic is there well, a particular is there a particular part in it that just kind of blew you away when <laughs> you're like you put it together and you're like oh i came up with that <laughs> or the whole thing because well, it's really so it's creative it's so creative i i you know it honestly still it, it, it's it's wild to me it, the thing that i think blows me away about the conception of the piece more than anything and i remember you know charlie explaining this like you know there's a a catholic mass in this musical you know what is this and i was thinking is this going to be too much like is is throwing all of these genres basically into a blender and just doling out the 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 final process you know the final mixture of all of these things like is that going to work or is there going to be anything for your ear to latch on to and from our first developmental step to now releasing this and obviously to whatever comes in the future, the thing that has continued to surprise and delight me the most is that, yeah, it's just kind of, it, it works. Somehow these two completely separate styles gel in a way that's really contrasty and beautiful. Um, that has, I think, been the thing that has been most, most delighting to me. Yeah, we can put jazz on a harpsichord in this rock musical and somehow it's it's gonna make sense i don't know that's that has been the, the biggest and most pleasant surprise for me well in my opinion it makes complete sense so you know whatever that's worth everyone's got an opinion <laughs> <laughs> how have you how have you during this time gotten better at listening that's a really really good question um do you mean listening and dissecting music or listening as far as like um internalizing feedback how do you mean listening why don't we start with the music and then the feedback i'm curious about i'm curious about both answers so let's start with music yeah i think you know every musician goes on a long and personal journey with like their ear and the way they interpret music and the way they internalize and hear music and yada 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 um and I think that through the process of writing, through the process of writing Ever Be King, I have tried to tap into a slightly less cerebral method of listening to music because, you know, you go to music school and you start picking things apart. It's like, what makes this work? What's, what's going on here? Um, but what I've tried to, what I have been trying to do consciously is like 
pull back from that a little bit mm. and just focus on the emotional impact of the music mm. because rock is such a visceral in your face style that I don't think analyzing it really does it any great justice. You know, it's just got to be, what does this music make me feel? And what is the, the, the most concise path to like, not replicate that feeling, but to, to evoke the same, evoke a similar feeling. Mm. Um, so focusing less on the technical weeds uh, and, and focusing more on the emotional impact has been has been the the journey of my of my music listening um through this process as well as broadening my horizons vastly because i could probably name 15 more rock bands now than i could have before i started before i started working on this yeah i that's what i think is so special about um about well some of these tracks they really capture emotional sentiments in such mm. a small intimate real way which is, you know, we all experience it. We're like, oh, I like that. I connect with that. But recreating that is not necessarily easy <laughs> or getting no. it, getting it right. And I think that's what's so special is, is it can be so, you know, loud, large, in your face, right? Visceral experience. But it also has these very intimate moments that are just, you know, slice of humanity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I give a lot of credit for that to Charlie. Charlie is a really, really, really smart dramatist, you know, and he understands how to make people feel things. And that's just one of those moments where every once in a while I get, I get an, a rough demo from Charlie and I'm, you know, you've got to pinch yourself because it's like not everybody is as fortunate to find collaborators who inspire them. And, and it's, it is particularly on this piece, I have just been absolutely inspired by Charlie's output. I think it's, yeah. I think he's he's the real deal. You can't fake that. Yeah. Yeah. Part two to that question within listening. Absolutely. Um, feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, what you hear from someone, what comes out of someone's mouth versus what they're actually saying. <laughs> yeah. How have you gotten better at, you know, interpreting um, just general communication or feedback and listening? Yeah. I mean, the good news or the, the good thing for my personal feedback ear has been that I came from a background in acting, right? And actors are taught to just accept the feedback at face value mm -hmm. and interpret absolutely nothing more from it than an objective thought. And, you know, it's, it's pretty bald. It's pretty plain. There's no real cause to overthink. Um, and, and so I have, fortunately never been one to struggle with receiving feedback um however it, it, you know there's always going to be a little bit of a, a you know a pang when it's something that's close to you and sure. and and there you'll always get a little bit defensive and that's always going to be an instinct um because it's you know you want to protect you want to protect what you've done so i think that what i have learned the most about listening through this whole process has been like you know it's okay to have that initial reaction especially when it's something that is so close to you and not to like shove that reaction aside you know and you've got to make room for that because sometimes not all death now definitely not always but sometimes that instinct is perhaps valid and perhaps the criticism that you're getting is really specific to one person you know it's like you can't try oh it's like the story about what was it writing the declaration of independence where he tried to take everybody's feedback into consideration but at the end of the day it's like you know, your vision is your vision. Yeah. And, and feedback is helpful and feedback is great. And you should always 
be receptive to and open to feedback, particularly from those who know more than you, mm. but also, you know, stick to your guns. Um, mm. And when you know what you're trying to write, sometimes you've just got to trust that you know what you're trying to write. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe it doesn't work because that person can't see the full picture in that moment, you know? Um, and then of course the flip side to that is sometimes you're looking so deeply that you can't see the full picture, you know? So, I mean, it's all a give and take. There's no one answer, but it, it's definitely been, don't accept everything blindly. I think that has been my, uh, that has been my listening, my feedback journey on, on this particular project. It yeah, happens to be the theme, one of the themes of the show too, for never be king. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. <listen> Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Critical How, thinking is very important. Exactly. It's important. It's very yeah. important. How do you balance achievement versus fulfillment? My okay. God, isn't that the million dollar question? <laughs> yeah, if I could answer that question, I think I'd be the most popular man in New York City right now. Um, it's, I, I mean, it really is a, you know, I think you, you say it, it is a balance and you've right. got to, you've just got to recognize that sometimes you know it's it's like it's it's almost a bummer to say but sometimes there's going to be a little bit of a compromise there right like sometimes you're going to take a job and it's really really going to fulfill you and sometimes you're taking a job because this is a really really good learning experience for me or this is something that i need to do at the moment and and Sometimes those things overlap and that's beautiful and sometimes they don't. And you've just kind of got to, I have found, sorry, I don't want to say you've got to, because then that makes me sound like I'm giving people <laughs> advice, which I'm certainly not qualified to do. Um, but I have found, let me say it that way, that it is super duper important to keep an eye on that scale, you know, and not let yourself get too engrossed in like maxing out one side of that scale. Like if you're constantly chasing fulfillment, you'll probably never find fulfillment. Yeah. But if you're constantly seeking, um, you know, professional betterment or, or visibility or what, what have you, you know, then you kind of become a soulless robot just mm -hmm. fighting in the, the corporate theatrical machine or what have you, you know? Right. So it's all about keeping an eye and making sure that if that scale is tipping one way, that you're at least aware that that scale is tipping one way. Yeah. That's really, that's yeah. really well said. I mean, it's something to definitely like, you know, just keep, yeah, keep an eye on too, because you definitely yeah. don't want to overload it. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's ever such a thing as overloading it in the fulfillment department, right? That's always good to be fulfilled. Fair point. Fair but point. Fair it's, point. Yeah, it's definitely with the achievement because that's what, that's what wraps you up, you know, especially living, yeah. you know, in a, in a major city like this, you know, New York City and just always wanting to achieve more. Having Absolutely. And working in such a tight competitive industry, you know, I mean, it's easy to get like sucked into that echo chamber, you know, and to that end, it's like, that's just where you need to, it is so vitally. It's like, you know, when I talk to people who are younger than me, people who are still in college, it's like, you know, what's the secret to fulfillment? And it's yeah. like, find something else that fulfills you. Yeah. That is the ultimate answer. You can't have your industry be everything to you because that's and hey, there it is back to work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. You got to have hobbies. Hobbies are everything. Mm -hmm. If I didn't love to cook and if I didn't love to read and love to watch television, I don't know, what's a hobby? Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> it would be so easy to get to get swallowed up um, yeah. in that validation echo chamber. But yeah. Uh, on this theme, maybe we might have answered something along these lines already. Is there any yeah, common, yeah, yeah. common piece of incorrect advice 
that you hear in life or in the industry? Um, yes, always have a backup plan. I have found that sometimes you've just got to throw yourself at something. And perhaps that sounds like foolish advice, but I, I the way that I see the world, um, if I had given myself a backup plan, I probably would have relied on that backup plan. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the knowledge that there is like, that, that it's real, you know, and that this is, that, that, that what you're chasing, that what you're trying to accomplish is concrete and achievable is enough of a motivator to spur you on to do that yourself. You know, um, I, I think that there is something to be said for always having a fail safe, but mm. there's also a time and a place to just kind of recklessly chase like what's keeping you up at night. You know, um, that would be the big thing. And may, perhaps that's a little far back. I know that that's, that's a very high school way of thinking about things, mm. but, uh, but I always kind of, resented the notion that like you need to have a fallback or you need to have a plan b because sometimes sometimes it's okay to to grapple and to grope and to figure out Mm. to let the journey be the destination you know if you've got a plan b that maybe you're gonna find yourself subconsciously navigating towards that landing pad you know and Mm. sometimes that journey is more enlightening than than you ever could have predicted it would be that's yeah that's really well said I mean, that's a secret, that's a secret to life is when to take a risk and when not to, you know, and trusting your gut and, and, you know, along that line, like winners never quit and quitters never win. Untrue. Winners quit all the time. They just know what to quit and when to quit. Absolutely. And that's the hundred percent knowing when to go, go through with it, when to pivot when that's yeah. Great answer. Yeah. And it's a gray area. Obviously there's no. It's hard to say, you know, it's really hard to say because there's, you don't know, you know that's, and end. it's so, it's so exactly. And it's deeply personal, right? Yeah. There's no way for one person to look at that and say, this is the catch all solution. Yeah. It's just, it's part of the journey. It's all part of the journey. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Do you have any, um, most gifted books, favorite books? I, any, listen, it's like, it's such a, it might be a cliched answer, but anything by Brene Brown, I will read until the day that I die. I think that Brene Brown speaks truth to power in the most just stunning and well put ways. Um, Daring Greatly was one of the best books that I ever read. And it was one of the books that helped me overcome so many professional anxieties when I was younger. Um, that, that, I mean, that's, that's a big gift book for me is Daring Greatly, especially to anybody who, who might be going through some self-doubt. That's, that is a, that's a, a plus read. Were, were there any standout moments from that book or things that you've come up with on your own in terms of a self-talk through self-doubt? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's just, I, you, you know, the whole, the whole thesis of that book is like, is, is vulnerability is not a bad thing and it's mm-hmm. okay to be scared, you know, and, and accepting, sometimes accepting that fear is exactly the validation that that fear needs in order to dissipate Mm. um and to me i think that was my biggest thing was like the the notion that no you know you you are not the only person who has a long laundry list of insecurities and in Mm. fact meeting those those insecurities um where you are and and really taking stock of those and sometimes voicing those to trusted people can can be the first step in letting go of those insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 
huge for that that was a big revelation for me because you know my dad was roman catholic we come from the tradition of of just uh bottling that all up you know shove it down <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. so that was that was big unlearning and that was it, it like a, a real life changing kind of thing to take away from from that book yeah metaphorically speaking if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see does anything come to mind I think it would probably have to be go with like eight exclamation marks, you know, just don't think go, go. Nobody's going to tell you to go, right? You you just got to do it for yourself sometimes. Um, and I spent a lot of my college, my time in college, particularly as I was starting to make the transition from, from acting to music directing, you know, like hemming and hawing and do I have the... You know, do I have the on-paper skills? And I was really waiting for somebody to say, Sam, you should stop acting and start music directing. And nobody was ever going to tell me that. And I didn't come to that conclusion until I just bit the bullet and went. Mm -hmm. So sometimes go is all you got to is all you got to hear. I find. And it's amazing how many opportunities and moments will come up as a result of that. In any direction. Yeah. I mean, if you're just going, Absolutely. you're like, you don't even know if that's what you really want to do. Well, if you just go for it, there's going to be eight or nine offshoots on the way Absolutely. that are going to bring you 100%. back to what you probably really do want to do. But 100%. Yeah, sitting and fretting doesn't, it doesn't get you anywhere. You have to just go. No, I'm a big fretter. Yeah. Yeah. To this day. <laughs> it's a human nature, though. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it is. It's a human nature. Survival instinct. Yeah. yeah. We're not built for happiness. We're built to survive. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> when you think about that. No, when you think about that, though, it becomes very active, you know? Being happy, thinking Definitely. about going, Definitely. reading Brene Brown's books. That's all very, you know, you have to be very conscientious. This conversation has been so wonderful. We dove deep. I so Absolutely appreciate lovely. you being uh, so open through this this chat. Is there anything else you want to add here before we wrap it up today? I think life is too short to let anxieties rule. You know, to let imposter syndrome rule, and it all ties it all ties back to daring greatly to go with eight exclamation marks. You know, it's it's. You cannot, you cannot let imposter syndrome guide your life. You can't let fear guide your life. I know we were just talking about it, but it, it is literally the core tenet that I now try to live by. Don't live in fear. Just try it. Yeah. <laughs> the worst thing that can happen has probably like already happened is usually my thought. Just give it a shot. Don't let imposter syndrome keep you from chasing things. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. People of the world, Sam <laughs> Columbus. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 